From Greenville, South Carolina, we present... Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church of North America, preaching Christ in all His fullness. Once again, we count it a privilege to welcome you to another broadcast of Let the Bible Speak. Today, we'll hear another message in the life and earthly ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, a series preached by Dr. Alan Cairns, founder of Let the Bible Speak Radio Ministries. We'll hear from Dr. Cairns shortly. First of all, we invite you to enjoy this devotional thought from the pen of C.H. Spurgeon, found in his collection called Faith's Checkbook. Today's devotional is entitled, Immortal Till Work Done. The text is Psalm 118 and verse 17. I shall not die, but live, and declare the works of the Lord. A fair assurance this. It was no doubt based upon a promise inwardly whispered in the psalmist's heart, which he seized upon and enjoyed. Is my case like that of David? Am I depressed because the enemy affronts me? Are there multitudes against me and few on my side? Does unbelief bid me lie down and die in despair, a defeated, dishonored man? Do my enemies begin to dig my grave? What then? Shall I yield to the whisper of fear and give up the battle and with it give up all hope? Far from it. There is life in me yet. I shall not die. Vigor will return and remove my weakness. I shall live. The Lord lives, and I shall live also. My mouth shall again be opened. I shall declare the works of Jehovah. Yes, and I shall speak of the present trouble as another instance of the wonder-working faithfulness and love of the Lord my God. Those who would gladly measure me for my coffin had better wait a bit, for the Lord hath chastened me sore, but he hath not given me over unto death. Glory be to his name forever. I am immortal till my work is done. Till the Lord wills it, no vault can close upon me. Lord, as I seek your guidance for the Unyielding confusion crowds my way, but then when I bow to you, the challenges you guide me through, your promises are ever new. I claim them for Grace will not keep. 
One of the chief characteristics of the Protestant Reformation of the 16th century was the preeminent place given to the Bible. The Reformers' motto was, The Bible alone, the religion of the Protestants. Men such as Martin Luther and John Knox insisted that the Holy Scriptures contain everything necessary for Christian faith and practice. It is important for believers in the 21st century to understand the central significance of the Bible in daily living and in the battle for spiritual truth. Let the Bible Speak is making available free of charge a booklet called The Bible and the Protestant Reformation, published by the Trinitarian Bible Society. To obtain your copy, simply email info at faithfpc.org. That's info at faithfpc.org. If you wish, you may call us at 864-244-2408. That's 864-244-2408. If you prefer regular mail, you may simply write, Let the Bible Speak, 1207 Haywood Road, Greenville, South Carolina, 29615. That's Let the Bible Speak, 1207 Haywood Road, Greenville, South Carolina, 29615. Just ask for your copy of The Bible and the Protestant Reformation, and we'll be delighted to provide it.
Today on Let the Bible Speak, Dr. Cairns continues a message entitled, The Lord of the Harvest. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, through chapter 10, verse 15, we have a record of Christ's love for souls as he gazed upon the crowds who followed him. He saw them not just as a multitude of people, but as sheep scattered without a shepherd. He was moved with compassion, even as believers should be as they look at lost souls. The Lord Jesus promised a great harvest, and commanded his disciples to pray that God would thrust laborers into his harvest field. As Dr. Cairns will emphasize, the only limit to the size of the harvest is the number of laborers. Now to continue this message, the Lord of the harvest, here is Dr. Cairns. I have a horror of orthodoxy that is dead, of people who get all the great truths of the gospel and pack them in ice. How can that be? Why should it be? If there is one subject under God's heaven that ought to set the heart ablaze, it is the study of God. That's what theology is. It is person in his purposes, in his eternal decree, in the outworking of that decree in creation and providence, and then especially in redemption. And when you come to the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, his virgin birth, his virtuous life, his vicarious death, his victorious resurrection, if that doesn't set the heart ablaze, then that heart has something seriously wrong with it. We need an orthodoxy that sets the soul on fire with a Christ-like passion. I fear we have lost a lot of that in the Church of Christ. I think we have lost a lot of it in our own experience. Oh, we could fight over every little thing that maybe the Bible says little or nothing about and you can have church splits and separations, and we think we're doing the will of God over a, a bunch of things that really are man-made inventions. But where is the passion? I've been reading myself to sleep at night recently with the story, the true story, of two of the godliest young people America produced in the 20th century. John and Betty Stan, who went to China in the 1930s, there to lay down their lives for the cause of the gospel in that nation that was soon to become a communist stronghold. Just to read of the driving force of a passion for souls that carried them on foot over high mountains and down precipitous passes just to reach the lost for Christ. It's a great passion. You heard me announce recently that our Balamoni Church had lost one of its elders, Nevin Carson, 
Nevin used to pray constantly, constantly. His prayer was that God would give us a Calvary love for sinners, a love for the lost. There's a great passion here. Jesus speaks of a great plenty here. He says, the harvest is plenteous. Ah, he adds indeed a little word, the harvest truly, or the harvest indeed is plenteous. Despite appearances to the contrary, despite what other people may say, despite what discouragements may arise, remember, there is a plenteous harvest. That was true in that day, and it's true in the day in which we live. There are many people who get the notion that somehow or other, the best days of the church are over. Don't you believe it? The best days for the church of Jesus Christ are still before it. They are not over. There are some crazy preachers who have the sermon subject coming up in one fashion or another every so often. Is there a future for the church? To ask the question is to show the utter, utter idiocy of the preacher. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. How dare any preacher cover up his own spiritual impotence by questioning the validity of the calling of the church for the age in which we live? God has ordained that there is a harvest and it is plenteous. And the mission fields of the world today are still needing harvesters because there is still a great harvest. The millions of America still need Christians with passion and they still need Christians who will witness because across America there is a great harvest, great plenty. But he says the laborers are few. That certainly is a great pity. The harvest is there, but the laborers are few. Now, let's be honest. In one way, we could say, in comparison to the overall population, the Christians are few. I suppose that has to be admitted. But did it ever strike you that there are always enough Christians to do the job? The Lord has always enough Christians to do the job that He wants done. He makes no mistakes about this. But in comparison to the number of Christians that there are, how few laborers there are. Oh, there are plenty of critics. There are plenty of, uh, this is a term I learned since I came to America, never knew it existed. Monday morning quarterbacks. I'm powerful. You see how culturally assimilated I have become. And plenty of people who can tell others who are trying and maybe not doing the, as good a job as they ought to do, they can tell them how it ought to be done. They'll tell them what they would have done if they had been in their position. But usually the people who are telling you what they would have done or what ought to have been done are conspicuous 
for doing nothing or almost nothing. Now, don't get me wrong. People who try to serve the Lord are not beyond correction. And they shouldn't be beyond being told that there's a better way of doing it. But let's make sure that we understand that the lack is of laborers. What a pity. What a pity. I have often quoted something I heard. I have never uh, taken a great deal of trouble to trace the quotation, but I have remember growing up as told of R.A. Torrey before he set out on his world tour in which some 100,000 people reputedly, and I think truly, were reported as having come to Christ. Tari is supposed to have said, give me ten men full of the Holy Ghost and I will move the world. I think he was right. Ten spirit-filled laborers. You see, contrary to what the charismatics want you to believe, the fullness of the Holy Ghost is not for you to sit in a meeting and, uh, as some of them do, bark like dogs, laugh like idiots, or roll around the floor like drunks. That's not for the fullness of the Holy Ghost. The fullness of the Holy Ghost is always marked with power for service. It makes you a laborer. A laborer. What a pity. Let me ask you this morning, do you know anything about laboring? Do you know anything about putting your all into the work of God? Do you know anything about laboring in prayer? Do you know anything about laboring in witnessing? Do you know anything about laboring in giving your life in its entirety, no matter what the cost may be, for the service of Jesus Christ and the extension of His kingdom? How few laborers there are. That's why Jesus says, pray. There's a great prayer here. Send forth laborers. Do you see that the only limit on the size of the harvest is the number and the labor of the laborers? Now, I say that as a down-the-line Calvinist. We Calvinists are supposed to believe that the limit on the size of the harvest is, uh, according to the Arminians, this is what we're supposed to believe, uh, some harsh decree of God that he's keeping a whole lot of people out who otherwise would want to get in. Don't you believe it? I believe in the decree of election because I believe in the success of the work of Christ, and I believe that God is going to bring in the full complement of the redeemed, however poorly I labor. But in human terms, I have to say this. If you have a hundred people out laboring, you'll have a much bigger harvest than if you've won. If this church sends out a hundred people witnessing, we'll see a whole lot more return than if we send out nobody witnessing. The size of the harvest depends upon the number and the labor of the laborers. Jesus says, therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest that he send forth laborers. 
Pray that God will raise preachers. Pray that God will raise personal workers. Pray that God will raise up men of passion. Pray that God will raise up men and women who are willing to burn out for God. I'm sure many of you remember the old hymn that's sort of if not unpopular nowadays, at least very rarely ever sung, Let me burn out for thee, dear Lord. Don't let me rust or my life be a hindrance, my God, to thee. I remember sitting in a missionary meeting in Dr. Paisley's old Raven Hill Church years and years ago. On a very odd occasion, we had a really good singer come along. Otherwise, we had sincere singers. And... Uh, Then we had others who just had great spiritual power in their singing. To me, they're the best of all. But when you could combine the good singer with the one with spiritual power, then that was a rare time. With a young woman from Brazil, she'd been an opera singer in Brazil when God saved her out of the Romanism and set her on fire with the love of Christ. And I always remember her coming and singing in one of the hymns she sang, let me burn out for thee. Not rust out. How many rust buckets we have sitting in church pews around America. Let me burn out for thee. God needs laborers. And don't be shocked that I say God needs them. Not that there's a lack in God, but Jesus said to his disciples, go out and you'll find an ass and say to its keepers, the Lord hath need of him. The Son of God says, go and tell them I need that donkey. Well, now, surely, it's not unorthodox of me to say the Lord hath need of a few more. The world may think is no better than donkeys. But what does that matter? The Lord is needing laborers. Pray the Lord of the harvest. And that's, really, I hadn't started to preach. I'm just getting to my text. That's the great person, the Lord of the harvest. Pray to him. Now, I think that title actually belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And I say that because he shows in the verses that immediately follow by his actions that he is the Lord of the harvest. He says, pray for laborers, and immediately what does he do? He sends forth laborers into the harvest field. He sends forth in the first part of Matthew chapter 10 the twelve disciples to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So I want us to think this morning for a few minutes as we come to a close on the Lord of the harvest, our view of the Lord Jesus Christ in this passage of Scripture. Let me say this, that as the Lord of the harvest, the Lord Jesus Christ kept his eye on the spiritual state of perishing souls. We see this in the passage we have already mentioned in chapter 9, 36 and 37. Gazing on the multitude who thronged his ministry, he was moved with compassion. Why? Because he saw them as sheep without a shepherd, lost, wandering, unprotected, and in grave danger. Now, I hope you see how 
how strong my efforts are to stay within some time constraints this morning. Those are four points that beg for a preacher to preach them. This is how he looked on people, sheep without a shepherd, lost, wandering, unprotected, and in grave danger. And then he saw them as a harvest, change of figure entirely, getting away from the sheep now to a field of waving grain. He sees them as a harvest that had to be reaped in a very brief period of time. Now, this is Christ's eye upon the multitude. As the Lord of the harvest, this is how he's looking on people. He's getting their spiritual state firmly in view. You've been listening to Let the Bible Speak, the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church of North America. We hope you've enjoyed and benefited from today's program. We are here as your servants for Christ's sake. If we can be of any further help to you in the things of the Lord, we invite you to contact us. If you would like to receive our booklet, Separated Unto the Gospel, a booklet that sets forth the beliefs and standards of the Free Presbyterian Church, you may have a copy free of charge, simply for the asking. Our mailing address is Let the Bible Speak, 1207 Haywood Road, Greenville, South Carolina, 29615. That's Let the Bible Speak, 1207 Haywood Road, Greenville, South Carolina, 29615. Our email address is info at faithfpc.org. That's info at faithfpc.org. If you would like to learn more about the Free Presbyterian Church of North America, we invite you to visit our website, www.fpcna.org. That's www.fpcna.org. This is Charles Kelsch saying thank you for listening and inviting you to join us again as we Let the Bible Speak.